Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to this week's episode of Best Camp of My Life, a podcast about MMA. Kind of, but not really, but kind of. I'm your host, Fernanda Prates, unless this is a Truman Show type of situation and you are nothing but voyeuristic spectators to my simulated existence, in which case I may still be Fernanda Prates in the sense that I may have very well been born under that name and lived under that assumed identity, but some would argue I am not entirely Fernanda Prates in the sense that how much being can one really do when their very actions, thoughts, and desires, arguably the very fabric of what makes them human, are not entirely their own. Of course, the fact that Truman does create a rift between his simulation and reality by making small decisions for himself could be a testament to the ultimately indomitable nature of one's sheer drive to exist. On the other hand, or perhaps simply on a different side of the same hand, a point could be made as to how Truman is no more or less in control of his humanity than the rest of us considering that the idea of free will in a hierarchical, patriarchal, capital-driven society isn't as clear-cut we like to fool ourselves into believing. But that's a conversation for another time. As far as I can tell, unless we have terrible writers, a lightning crew that can never get it right, and the whole thing is being directed by Lars von Trier, I'm pretty sure there is no one masterminding this old mess. I can say with about 60% certainty that I am indeed your host, Fernanda Prates, existing in the same boring reality as everyone else, watching the same 90-day fiancé analysis videos as everyone else, having the same breakfast of Nutella and rum as everyone else, and doing a podcast like everyone else. This podcast, to be more precise, for which you are all very welcome and also I am very sorry. Although I must say today, I am not actually sorry. And that is because, once again, in my infinite kindness, I am sparing you of my uninterrupted presence and gifting you yet another lovely victim. I mean, guest. This week, I am joined by Shaquille Majuri, former reporter for Bloody Elbow and MMA Mania and current lead editor and writing at Fightful MMA. In case you are not familiar with his work, Majuri had been producing some great videos for Fightful MMA's video channel, including gems such as UFC fighters react to Black Friday fights and UFC fighters react to Mortal Kombat fatalities. When he's not putting out entertaining content, Shaq is out there making terrible mistakes, such as inviting possibly not entirely sober MMA people that may or may not have been me to do live watch-alongs of USC main events and proceed to call them out for various reasons, including but not limited to the use of foul language. But in any case, today's episode is not about revenge. Or is it? I mean, 
I'm not the kind of person who would invite a guest into this noble, I dare say sacred space, just out of some petty desire for retribution. Or am I? I wouldn't stoop this low. Or would I? I couldn't possibly be manipulative enough to manufacture conflict as a way to appeal to the most basic human instincts and get you to listen to the whole thing. Or could I? I guess there's only one way to find out. And that one way is listening to the whole thing, in case that wasn't clear. Well, before we get into it, I would like to make it clear to my guests that this invitation to join me today is in no way payback uh, for calling me out on several of my behaviors uh, during a live broadcast, nor is it an attempt at clearing my now severely tarnished name. It is just a well-meaning invitation out of the kindness of my generous and entirely sober heart. No ulterior motives whatsoever. Welcome to the podcast, Shaq. Hey, I'm happy to be here. And in hindsight, I probably should have boozed up a little bit to give you the chance to try and pry some dirt out of me. Yeah, that was just for context for those listening. On Saturday, we did a live watch along on set. I don't even know how it, how many places that was because uh, you were answering people on like Periscope and Twitter and YouTube and uh wherever parlor maybe i don't know hopefully not um i don't even know if that's the thing but uh yes and i was called out for swearing <laughs> for consuming alcohol for not having you on my podcast uh granted everything was very deserved but um yeah just wanted to throw it out there for people to know yeah that, and that happened I mean, listen, I, I didn't mean to call you out in a judgmental <laughs> way. It's just it, I didn't know we were there in our friendship. And so I yeah. now expect you to be that friend who just shows up. You know, I come home from work and you're already in my house somehow sitting on the couch, feet on the table. I just I didn't know we were there yet in our relationship. But I'm happy. We OK, are, so. well, that, that, I think that's that's kind of like how I do things because you don't know how far you can go before you've gone too far. Like that's that's what I hear. So that's what I do. Uh, either I push people away or uh, this brings us closer. And I like to feel that we're closer, Shaq. You are here after all. I'm here. Uh, <laughs> there's a ton we had to discuss. There's obviously a big uh, UFC event happening this Saturday, UFC 259. Uh, but before, uh, before we get to that, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about some of the happenings uh, of these past few days that everybody else is talking about, so um, maybe it's not entirely original, but you know what? I have feelings. Uh, I want to share them. First off, since we're on the subject of booze, uh, Paulo Costa, who lost the title fight to Israel at Asanya, uh, came out the other day saying that um, he had had a kind of a lot of wine, a full bottle, if I understood correctly, <laughs> from his telling of the tale uh, the night before the fight, which happened in the morning, by the way. So that's kind of hours away from the fight. And he was either hungover or still kind of drunk when he competed the other day. Uh, and I am just so amazed by every element of this story. But I guess uh what was your your initial reaction to 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 hearing what I don't I don't know if I can even call it an excuse because it's like it's so terrible that it doesn't even work as an excuse. Like it's it makes it worse almost. But uh yeah, how did you feel about about that? 
you know, I'm just saying, Nanda, you showed up about three Negronis deep into our watch along and you went five rounds. So I don't understand why Paulo Costa couldn't make it 10 minutes with Israel Adesanya. It's just the, the thing with Paulo at this point, it's like ever since that loss, he's no pun intended. He's continued to whine and whine and whine about it. Like. And every week, it seems like there's a new wrinkle to the excuse. It was an injury. He couldn't sleep. He had to drink. Like, if 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 it's true that he was he, he like take an Ativan or something. I don't understand. Like, <laughs> take some yeah, melatonin. <laughs> like, I don't. How do you think this makes it look better? If anything, it just looks. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It just it was just poor thinking. It just seemed yeah. irresponsible that you're going to down a bottle of wine and the night before the biggest fight of your life. Like, I, I don't know what he expects. It Honestly, it just feels like a bruised ego sort of situation. It does. But one thing that I find I found interesting is that, like, on the one hand, it made him a little more relatable. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, he got very nervous and he decided he tried a glass of wine. It didn't work. He tried a second glass of wine. It didn't work. So he just drank the whole bottle. And I was like, well, that's probably the closest I'll ever get to relating to like a high level performance athlete, um, this exact moment. But at the same time, kind of, you know, if you're going to do an athletic endeavor, that doesn't really seem like the way to go about it. Um, and I, it's interesting because I mentioned it on Twitter and somebody came to me like, what would you do? Um, <laughs> well, first of all, not be a professional fighter because I'm like not emotionally equipped to do that. Uh, but a second of all, I think I would not have, you know, consumed massive amounts of a substance that is basically poison to your body before you have to perform. But like you said, I did. I did show up through Negroni's Deep, and I feel like that didn't hinder my performance at all no, anywhere. anywhere. It, I think it improved it, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> and it's literally the same thing, fighting Israel Adesanya in a title fight um, and, and being on a watch along with you. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, I was trying to avoid comparing myself to Izzy, but the thought crossed my mind. So I'm happy I mean, it wasn't you, it was me. I went there. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, here's, here's the thing with Paulo. It's like... I was rewatching the fight the other day, and there's two things that stood out. One, it's it's kind of no, and this I mean no disrespect to Paulo Costa, it's just fun watching like the hunky, thick, jacked, super handsome dude get whooped by the skinny kid. That's just kind of <laughs> yep. fun to see uh, from a static <laughs> point of view. But more than that, like. Paulo Costa looked mentally defeated the moment he stepped in there. I'm sure he went mm-hmm. into that, you know, wine binge drinking aside brimming with confidence all the way up at least until he entered the cage you know i'm gonna i'm Mm -hmm. gonna show this fool up he's talking so much trash look don't engage with israel adesanya because the people like izzy and connor they're not talking trash to um you know cover for some sort of deeper insecurity it is part of the war plan it is part of the strategy 
It is a tool they use to defeat you before you even get into the cage. So, and you can mm-hmm. just tell from the body language. You know, Paulo Costa, every time he gets hit, he's sticking out his tongue. He's doing stupid stuff. Israel Adesanya, mm-hmm. he was very, very particular with when he threw things out. He wasn't, he wasn't making fun of Costa. In fact, he was the more serious one in the cage. And the mm-hmm. one time he said something, he pointed at Costa and called him Yoel Romero because mm-hmm. Paulo was refusing to engage. Like, Izzy mm-hmm. is so sharp in there. And all that trash he talked, before the fight he can turn off Paulo Costa couldn't turn it off and so if I have any advice for the guy because I can't I can't coach him on the fighting it's just if you ever get this rematch don't go into this again just ignore the guy as much as possible be respectful if you can just focus on the fight because you're not going to win this mental battle yeah that's like a it's an int- I, I agree with with your analysis, and it's an interesting thing because Paolo is very much the guy who, like you said, the big guy, and he behaves himself in a way that uh, seems extremely confident. And then you show up with this with that performance, and also the way that uh, he's been carrying himself since, because he has been like from the get go, kind of. I don't like using the term "sore loser" because. It's so much emotion wrapped up in a situation like a fight, right? Like that you can't really, I don't like judging people's reactions to it because I understand the Ronda Rousey, like storming out and not wanting to deal with anyone. And I understand Dominic Cruz appearing and giving a whole like freaking show (laughs) backstage in sportsmanship. Like I, I understand both things. It's kind of like a personality thing. So I try not to be, you know, can you imagine? I can't. Like I cry when I spill my Diet Coke because, you know, it's Diet Coke. It's just that's, I'm not built the same way. But that's kind of like how you see the difference, right? Between like actual self-confidence and the quiet type of self-confidence that kind of, to me, like is actually really scary. And the kind of self-confidence that seems like an act. And to me, like, I kind of agree with you. And I think we kind of see, saw both there. but moving on a little bit from that to another hot and less pleasant topic um, this week was Hamza uh, Chimaev. I don't know if I'm saying, I, I'm probably saying it very wrong, but um, he's not going to listen to this. So we're good. Uh, Hamza well, Chimaev. <laughs> yeah, he might be just so bored that he's going to be like, oh, this girl's uh, podcast that deals with progressive values in MMA seems like a very interesting and right up my alley listen. I'm just nice. going to give it a crack. Uh, but he was, uh, we know that Shimaev has been dealing with uh, some health issues stemming from a COVID case. And um, yesterday he posted something that I don't understand because I don't speak the language, but according to like automatic translations, pretty much seemed like he was retiring from MMA at, I don't know, 26 and just three fights into his UFC career. And then the situation from yesterday to today (laughs) has gained some interesting chapters because then you had Dana White weighing in saying that, uh, no, he's not going to retire. He's just frustrated. He's just, you know, he had, he's been doing treatment um, and he shouldn't be training, but he is, and he couldn't do it, so he got frustrated and emotional. And then yesterday, today, you had freaking Kadyrov, the dictator, um, saying he spoke to to Chimaev <laughs> uh, to get him to change his mind. So it's been an interesting uh, turn of of, of events 
Bro. I, can, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> that I don't even know how to, how to begin addressing. This, this <laughs> is so hard for me. Like, I am, I am so blessed that right now I can cover mm-hmm. MMA basically mostly on a full-time basis that's that's Mm -hmm. that's something i don't take for granted at all and in i still love watching fights i still love talking to the athletes Uh, i've Mm -hmm. managed to thus far maintain a lot you know they say when when you when you do something you love you kind of fall out of love with it i've managed to hold Mm -hmm. on to that for the most part but boy do i hate dealing with the dumbos online and some of the dumbos (laughs) that run the sport like you know, I had people, I saw people on Twitter. In fact, I saw someone, I think, on, on your tweet about this, who you yeah. right, uh, intelligently refused to engage with, saying, oh, you see, uh, it was just deployed to get some attention to Hamzat. And I'm I'm sitting there, uh, thank God some people came to your defense and Hamzat defense, because I just didn't want to deal with it. But there are people being like, dude, it's the ruthless, bloodthirsty, murdering dictator of Chechnya, like what? What? What else do you think someone's gonna do when that guy comes to you and says, "Hey, you should keep <laughs> fighting"? Like, are you kidding me? How removed from reality are people? Like, this isn't a matter of opinion. There's a track record there, and I've had so many people online say, "Oh, Hams, that's just scared. Hasn't just scared? Scared of what? What? This is oh, the God. dude who came into the <laughs> octagon." On like in, in a period of like six months, won three fights, took one strike, and he was matched up with number three Leon Edwards. This is the sort of opportunity fighters dream of, scrape pennies for, and never get. Less than twelve months, a shot at the world title. When does that ever happen? And that's what he was gonna get if he beat Leon Edwards. And people are saying, "Oh, he's yeah. scared. He's scared. He's scared." Dude, these fighters are, uh have like self-belief to a fault because you need to if you're going to get in there and fight another human being for a living. Yeah. It's like, it's just such a weird projection of people's own insecurities. They're, they're going to say, yeah. oh, this guy is not as much of a badass as I thought. Now, yeah. I understand Dana White, right? He's got an agenda. He wants to make money, whatever. Mm-hmm. That's his MO. He's a promoter. We, we know this. But the people that feed into Dana White's propaganda never cease to amaze me. And that's the thing, right? Because honestly, like uh, thinking about it, the way that what what he said, I understand as a promoter who has a lot of interest in and and let's face it, the UFC has been spending a lot of their resources into promoting this guy, right? So I can understand him as a promoter trying to be like, you know what? He's like he's going through through some things. Let's not jump into conclusions here. But then like, oh, he's on this medication like we do. From that to, like, basically giving out his medical information, which I'm not sure how cool that is uh, to begin with. Uh, But even, like, but like you said, you you understand the motivation. What I don't understand is the people who go to bed for this. Like, I'm just a random guy on Twitter who's gaining nothing from this, but I'm just going to go online today and defend either Dana White or fucking Kaderov. Like, can you imagine being that person? Can you imagine waking up and going about your day as that guy? And one interesting thing, because you mentioned my tweet, I even muted the conversation because I just, at this point of my life, I, I'm not getting paid extra to deal with these people on Twitter, but... Uh, what we have from Kadyrov is like a loosely translated thing Ariel Hawani posted. And, and there was one point when he says, I told him that the whole 
Holes in caps lock, by the way. Chechen people were upset with this news. I reminded Chimaev that all, not one, not some, all our youth whom he inspires have great hopes for his victory. And, uh, victory. and what to say? Millions of patients in Russia and the world. So this is there, and a guy shows up to me and asks, where do you see the pressure? And I'm, I'm at a loss, because how can I explain objective reality to this person? You can't. Not to, not to mention what you said. And this is like ignoring the fact that this is like a notoriously brutal dictator, um, like a, a strong man, if there's ever been one. Ignoring all of that, even if he was just a very nice guy who happens to be a powerful leader, calling this guy on the phone and saying, oh, by the way, your entire fucking people is depending on you. Like, how, how is that not pressure? And yet people on Twitter come and say this thing to me with a fucking straight face. I don't understand it. Yeah, it's 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 <laughs> so mind blowing to me, like. You know, there's, and this is just the thing, there is a portion of MMA, and let me let me preface this, I have nothing against Dana White, I've talked to him once at a press conference where you probably couldn't mm -hmm. even see my face. All I know is every time I've gone to a UFC event or contacted UFC PR, they have been nothing but kind to me. I have nothing but good things to say about my UFC experience as someone who works in the industry. That does not mean that I have to hang on Dana White's every word. And there's this crazy mm -hmm. portion of the audience. I'll give you an example. Uh, I, I, we've been over at Fightful, we've been doing this series of media fight picks, uh, which mm -hmm. Fernanda told me she would record like two weeks ago and never did. <laughs> Well, that's I wasn't going to go unscathed, was I? <laughs> no, I asked never. for this. I, I think I was subjecting myself to this risk when I invited you, but go on. Oh, well. Um, and <laughs> there was a comment about how the media knows nothing, guys don't listen to these picks, uh, Dana White was right. And that's the part that got me. If, if you think the media doesn't know their head from their ass, sometimes we don't. I have no problem with that. <laughs> but it's the fact that this is not your opinion. This is the in opinion that you have absorbed from the UFC boss. And that guy said, mm -hmm. go listen to fighters make their picks. I'm like, hey, we've got those videos too. And I promise you, 50% of them thought Justin Gaethje was going to beat Habib. And about 75 thought Gilbert Burns was going to beat Kamar Usman. If you want a genuine, well-thought-out pick, go to an analyst who spent time mm -hmm. researching one fight. These are just for fun. But the thing that stood out to me was not their opinion of the video, the people involved. It's the fact that they were just regurgitating Dana White's opinion. And I don't know why it is, but there are so many people online and, and apparently fans of this sport who like to stand under Dana White's money shot Mouth wide mm -hmm. open. I'm sorry, it's getting very graphic. <laughs> and just take yeah, it, breathe this it is all the space in. to do it. Take it all. This this is is the what I did is I waited for you to swear, and then mm -hmm. I knew it was fair game. To start, it is. Yeah. Here, we're, you can be as crude and disgusting and just a horrible person as much as you Guys, want. This if you're if you're if you're fans of fighting, be fans of the fighters, not yeah. of the promoter, because the promoter is gonna say and do whatever he wants, dude. You're talking about Hamza Chimaev, a guy who posted a video of his bloody cough in the sink. Yeah. And Dana White's going to go to that guy and guilt trip him with the youth of Chechnya. This is what, <laughs> be a fan of fights and be a fan of fighters. Don't be a fan of the promoter because when you are, 
You are going to put all this extra pressure on these yeah. guys who are not making enough money, who are putting their lives physically, emotionally, mentally through hell to achieve a dream. And that portion of the audience doesn't care. It's it, you know, it's I, I say I say jump, you say how high. They treat these fighters like they're show animals, like they're a carny freak mm-hmm. attraction. And I don't know why it is that so many fighters look to the media. I, I kind of get it. But if you if yeah. sit down and really analyze the situation, it is the promoter and the fans of those promoters. Mo- that's the thing. Dana White says something, but it's his army that he's created. Yeah. That go out there and, and do this sort of stuff and, and spread that sort of rhetoric. And it's just disappointing to see because ultimately I want whatever's best for these fighters. That's the thing, though, to me, there's that's the disconnect, right? Because a lot of the people like me who um, and people like me, I mean, the quote unquote woke crowd uh, or so I've been called online several times, um, like a lot of snowflakes, uh, beta. I don't know if we use beta anymore now that the alpha is out and the sigma is in. I don't know. I don't keep up, but um <laughs> Actually, I do keep up quite a lot. It's embarrassing. But the thing is, like, the disconnect, it's there, right? Like, when we criticize the UFC's decision, and we've I've talked about this with, with other people here in the podcast, because uh, when we criticize the, the decision, let's say, of the UFC to continue doing events at a time when it was just so weird to, to keep doing it, at a time when, like, everything was shutting down and we had no idea what uh, security measures the UFC was going to put in place, which, to their credit... Um, Especially in Fight Island, they did put a, put in place quite well. But at the time, we didn't know what was happening, right? And 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 a lot of the the people who attacked us then for like being haters of the sport or not wanting fighters to make money or not wanting fighters to, you know, like basically working against MMA are the same people who, when we are trying to defend the fighters, um, come in and say that you know that's their job. They chose this. Why are you defending them? They signed the contract. Like fuck them and defend the promotion. So it's like, I think the bottom of this all. Like to me, this is such a complicated discussion, and I guess that's why I keep having it because there's really no clear um, conclusion to it. But like I think at the bottom of it's kind of like the we see it outside of MMA with people's impulses to defend billionaires. Like, say a bad thing about Elon Musk on Twitter and see what happens. Yeah. Like, people are just gonna fucking jump to his defense because, I don't know, I think they're delusional in their head. They think they're more like Elon Musk than they are uh, to, like, homeless people. And trust me, the vast majority of us are, like, one step closer to yeah. being impoverished than we are <laughs> to being millionaires. But. I think there's an element of that, a sort of just subservience to power, but also the narrative that Dana White built. Like you said, like um, I disapprove of a lot of uh, what Dana White says uh, and does uh, publicly. I make that known, but you can understand why he's doing that as yeah. a businessman. It's convenient for him that people uh, pick the media as enemies, right? Because then people go to him for information. It's convenient for him to people to think that everybody who challenges his narrative is the enemy because then we think he's the hero. So we can understand his motivations. He's not like some fucking indecipherable uh, cartoon villain. He's like a business person doing business decisions. What I have a tougher time like accepting is the people, like you said, who joined the army and for what? Like, what are you gaining out of this? I just, I don't understand. Yeah. But if... You know, there's one thing. Sorry, go ahead. I was just I was going to rip up Luke Thomas quote here. Uh, shout out to Luke and Brian over at Morning Combat. But it's like 
It's, I don't know what it's like in Canada because uh, our news mm-hmm. is there's a lot more structure in terms of uh, what is allowed to go out in news in Canada. But news in the U.S. Man, did did, did those like the, the CNN, Fox, everything? The the biases and the agendas are so strong. They've been turning people away from trusting in media for a long time, and mm-hmm. that is something that President Trump. Uh, that mm-hmm. Dana White, that honestly Joe Biden, all of them, they have all continued to fuel that fire by saying the, the media isn't reliable. Look at this, look at this, look at this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now this is where we are. We're stuck and yeah. there's no way out because, you know, I'll put out a think piece or I'll write a story about Leslie Smith's latest efforts to unionize. Guess how many click on them? Boom, none. Mm-hmm. I put out a 20-second video of what Jake Paul posted on social media, and I'm raking yeah. in the views. And then you have people commenting saying, why are you promoting this piece of garbage? Uh, where is your sense of duty, responsibility, or ethics? I'm like, bro, mm-hmm. we cover combat <laughs> sports. We cover MMA. <laughs> ethics and morality left a long time ago. And if you think the biggest injustice is that I'm posting a 20-second video of Jake Paul to drive up ad revenue because we need to stay in business... Boy, it's not a discussion worth having because you are totally <laughs> blind to all the real atrocities that are going on here. Oh, and insane. you're going to get it both ways, right? Because, for instance, I had that when I was a junkie and, uh, you know, whatever headline that didn't agree, people didn't like, they would call clickbait, uh, completely unaware of what clickbait actually oh, means. Tell me about it. And then I went to The Athletic and it was like, I'm not going to pay for this. So it's like... Uh, pick one. <laughs> Either you're going to have the ads and the cl- the things that drive clicks because that's where the revenue is coming from, or you're going to have to pay for your content. Uh, you can't have it both ways, sweetie. Listen, if, if you're going to say, hey, you know what? This isn't my cup of tea. I've got no problem yeah. with that. But it's the Absolutely. fact that they turn these small, like really at the end of the day, what is mm-hmm. the problem with posting a video? And this is coming from someone who consumes like no Jake Paul content in my own time. Yeah. Who is it really hurting? Nobody. Nobody. If but they don't want to see it, like look away. This is the this is the utmost example of like moral inferiority. Are you kidding me? Do uh, you know who, do you know whose pocket your money is going into when you buy a UFC pay per view? Yeah. For the most part, it's not the fighter. Yeah, it's one thing when you're like publishing a fighter going on like an anti mask rant and not checking him. Because that to me is the problem. Like you're spreading misinformation and this is like a dangerous way to go about it. It's another when you're posting like inane fight news. Like you don't have to consume it. It can be annoying or boring, but, uh, you know, to hate on it. But I guess that's... People just like to complain. People. Basically, considering I made like a whole podcast just to complain. Uh, Yeah, granted, I've mostly been complaining, so I'm equally guilty here. This is the space to do it, like I said. Um, and interesting, because you mentioned Leslie Smith, but you had a podcast with Cajun Johnson, right? Yep, Pull No Punch was back in the day. Shout out to Bloody Elbow, and, shout out to Cajun. And it was right as his whole thing was happening mm-hmm. with the UFC, wasn't it? Yeah, tell, <laughs> I, have a, I have a good habit of uh, anchoring myself to entities <laughs> who are not in favor with the UFC, but this winning smile has gotten me through those. And oh, yeah. Tejan's a great guy. So uh, <laughs> he, I have to thank that guy because I was covering entertainment exclusively. He lived near yeah. me. I said, can we do a podcast? He said, sure. And, mm. you know, I'm like, hey, do you have Blank's number? I'll set it up. And that's how you start, you know, building that uh, network. So shout out to Tejan Johnson. So, oh, that's interesting. I actually wanted to to go back to that. Um, 
you know, that's something I'm always curious uh, to hear from my guests is what what had to go terribly wrong in your life? <laughs> what terrible turn did you take? Um, you know, what catastrophic event had to be bestowed upon you uh, for you to to end up in MMA? Like, how did that happen? Uh, you just alluded to it a little bit. Yeah. So uh, I went to broadcast journalism school um, mm -hmm. and what I learned there, basically nothing, but the uh, <laughs> networking opportunities were tremendous. So I got uh, an internship with Entertainment Tonight Canada, that's ET, okay. but in, up north, mm -hmm. uh, over in Toronto, did two months there. Um, they wanted to hire me, but there was, there was like a big corporate merger happening. It, it always slows everything down, right? Because they start reevaluating yeah. every brands, budget, et cetera, et cetera. So I ended up turning down a part-time position in Toronto. Um, mm -hmm. And I came back to Vancouver, started freelancing for them a little bit. That eventually turned into full-time work. And as much as I love being entertainment, I kind of got pigeonholed into just like regurgitating news okay. from people, from TMZ. And I still work there. It's a great place. I love the people. But mm -hmm. it's it wasn't quite as creatively fulfilling as I needed it to be. Um, yeah. There's been more interview opportunities, stuff like that, that we like to do lately. I got to uh, interview uh, Littlefinger from Game of Thrones and mm, Enzo awesome. from Vampire Diaries, a bunch of music for Bare Naked mm -hmm. Ladies. So it, I'm super grateful for my time there. Uh, yeah. But I needed a little. I needed that a little more often. So I found mm -hmm. out Kajan John. I reached out to a few Canadians. Patrick Cote never got back to me. Uh, mm -hmm. But shout out to Patrick. We've been to, we talked. <laughs> uh, Patrick Cote. See, call, I, I, I just I like call people out. <laughs> I like it because I feel like I'm not alone. I feel less alone. I feel like Patrick yeah. and I we have like something in common yeah. now. Uh, shout out to Patrick Cote. Yes. Uh, so Kajan got back to me. He lived close by. Mm -hmm. So we started doing a podcast and from there, you know, I, I, I was the producer as well as the video editor and the mm -hmm. co-host. So uh, I would get the contacts through Kajan and that was sort of my way of starting to introduce myself to fighters as well as, and this is the important part, other people in the media, right? It's through Kajan. Because mm -hmm. when I DM someone from Kajan's Instagram, they get back to me. So that's how I got in touch with Brett Okamoto, with uh, James Lynch, with Mark Raymundi. Mm -hmm. And it was Nick Baldwin, who at the time was working at Bloody Elbow, who got me in contact mm -hmm. with his boss. And uh, there was eventually an opening there. And that's kind of yeah. I worked a little bit at Fansided, too. Shout out to Amy Kaplan. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. um, but it was it was it was that podcast and getting in touch with people in the industry that eventually sort of set me down this path. And I'll say this. Working in MMA has made me hate MMA a lot less than working in entertainment full time made me hate entertainment. So, really yeah. why but what is like the p because I, I i would imagine there's a lot of like ego and stuff like that <laughs> so that with them it made a little less yeah the, the barriers to entry are way less right like mm -hmm. you, you see it tightening up now like uh dominance mm -hmm. first round etc they've got yeah more layers you have to get through now to get into contact with fighters but you know mm -hmm. when nick baldwin at the fresh age of three years old started getting into the sport. <laughs> he was like, He's five now, I in know. fairness. You know, at age 16, he had <laughs> Max Holloway's phone number, mm -hmm. Israel Adesanya's mm -hmm. phone number. Like, it was that mm -hmm. easy at the time. So for me, it was just, I didn't have to wait on all these different roadblocks that were never going to let me through unless I fit their mold. So 
that was sort of what pushed me in this direction and you know thus far it's 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 been a more successful endeavor so and also as much like et canada is a very celeb friendly site but you still end up writing about people's divorces and stuff and mm-hmm. i didn't like that i got numb to the fact that like hey this is a person's personal life completely falling apart and here i am making my hourly wage off of it it just yeah. it wasn't sitting right with me and it's not yeah. perhaps that they're doing anything inherently wrong it's just i'd rather be talking to musicians about their art and about their experiences mm-hmm. than writing about brad pitt and angelina's divorce and you know you know things to yourself how that's going to affect their children and i i, I kind of yeah. got tired of doing that and you can't even afford to think too much right because like um, you know, a lot of the times, even with MMA, with everything, when you're having to really churn out a lot of content, you have to be slightly desensitized to what's happening mm-hmm. because you need to be able to write things and get through your daily activities. And I think that's what sometimes a lot of people don't understand or think that, you know, we're monsters because <laughs> sometimes we can't even afford to go too deep into these questions when we're writing like a quick note because it's just it doesn't, it's, it's not possible. Uh, and then like, sometimes we have the option of walking away of not choosing to do that. But I try not to beg too much on, like, it's my personal choice not to do it. But I always try to like, understand the side of whoever is writing whatever I'm reading, because sometimes it's kind of like, they didn't really have the option not to. I don't know if the option is the word, but like, we're just, it's such a, a, a machine of content that we sometimes get stuck on that we don't really have a lot of time to exercise our better judgment. Um, I think I've been fortunate with MMA, but like when I was at Junkie, I had to write a lot of things and you didn't really have time to dig deep or I try to be careful with my language as much as I could, but like I couldn't uh, necessarily spend a lot of time and even stuff that demands a little bit of a more delicate touch, right? Which we get a lot in MMA, like violence situations or people getting arrested for being terrible people or whatever. Like <laughs> I would find myself feeling a little like, oh my God, I need to treat this right. But like, mm-hmm. this is a, I'm writing this based on something that's out there. I didn't interview anyone. I don't have time. Like, how can I make sure that this is like, fair and accurate and quick and at the same time sensitive and it's kind of like an impossible balance sometimes it is it is Uh, and like i'm sure some of the people this is the hard part it's like because i'm sure the people mm -hmm. who are watching your show for the most part hopefully will change their minds but i feel like for the most part your audience and there's a lot every time i mention you're coming on a show i got a lot of tweets at me people are super excited but they're probably people who generally agree with your perspective it's mm-hmm. so hard to reach those people who don't. But if someone is and they're like, hey, why doesn't MMA media do more of this or that? For the most part, we're all under corporate ladders. And if mm-hmm. we don't make money, we don't have a job. So yeah. it's not always a matter of, oh, what's the most, uh, you know, what what's the most time consuming Pulitzer Prize winning endeavor? It's what is going to turn a profit? Because if we can't turn a profit... Yeah. then Simon Simon is never going to get to do that piece with Daniel Nickerson. Um, mm-hmm. MMA fighting is never going to get to do stuff on Spencer the Kingfisher. Like there has yeah. to be some give and take because ultimately it is a business. Yes, exactly. And that's why I try not to, like I, I've been fortunate now when I was at The Athletic to be in a position where I can afford to sort of step away from the day-to-day and maybe be a little more critical because I, you know, I didn't need to be on that grind. But um, 
I might be have to someday to get back on that grind. I don't know. And I have a lot of colleagues who are. So I try not to be, you know, some people choose not to be super political on Twitter or to like have the same sort of positions that I do have. And I have to kind of understand that it's, to me, it's more comfortable than it is mm -hmm. for other people. And I can't afford to do certain things that other people can't. But uh, one thing that you mentioned that, it, so that that podcast with Cajun was sort of your your introduction uh, introduction to MMA. And he, like we said, he, was, he had this whole situation with the AFC. And he's a guy who was very... Um, active, I guess you can say politically, like he assumed very much that position of activism, uh, him and Leslie. Did that change sort of the way you saw MMA or did that shape the way you approach the UFC and MMA uh, moving forward? Hmm, that's interesting. You know, I guess when you first get into this, you're so wide-eyed and bushy-browed about the whole situation. I think mm -hmm. having Kajan there maybe makes me more sympathetic to what a lot mm -hmm. of fighters go through because you know, I got to know him pretty well. And uh, that was my first, you know, now I know a lot of fighters and to various degrees. There's some I'm more friend there. You know, there's a few that I text on a personal basis from time to time. But mm -hmm. I remember watching him fight the first time and it was so exhilarating for me because I had a vested interest both professionally and personally, right? I want to see him do well. It was after a long layoff against Adriano Martins. He lost the first two rounds. He was on the way to losing mm -hmm. the third round until he was one foot off the ground and landed a KO punch. He didn't even know what it was. I was watching it the other day, actually, and he was walking around saying, I don't know what the mm -hmm. fuck happened <laughs> to himself <laughs> after he KO'd his opponent. Um, it definitely made me more sympathetic right off the bat, I think, to uh, all the ways in which the mm -hmm. tables or the cards are stacked against fighters. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously, you know, it was rough when he got cut because, you know, they say that he got cut just as a consequence of losing the fight. But yeah. it's funny. The first article I ever wrote for Bloody Elbow was uh, yeah. the top 10 most disputed ju judges decisions of that year. And this was all information from, I think, like MMA decisions or some independent third body. It just so happened that the single most disputed decision unanimously among fans and among media members was Kajan Johnson losing a unanimous decision to Hustam Khabalov in Russia. Mm -hmm. And that's the fight he that's got cut off of. And that was super yeah. demoralizing. And I saw him kind of fall out of love with the sport because mm -hmm. when you take that, so, and shout out to The Athletic, Shaheen and company did such a phenomenal job on that. Uh, on that independent survey, that anonymous survey on fighters' rights and the yeah. whole lot. Uh, yeah. That's what Cajun, I think, experienced. Is like he tried mm -hmm. so hard to rally these fighters, and this is such an independent sport and independent pursuit, and it's very easy to think short-term there's no benefit mm -hmm. to doing this. Um, yeah. But there's some class action lawsuits in place right now, and I hope that yeah. the resolution is... If nothing else, like a, a light at the end of the tunnel that shows fighters that it's worth organizing and cooperating yeah. with each other, because that's mm -hmm. the hard part, right? Like they tried so hard to get all these fighters to cooperate and it was kind of a bust. And and fighters blame the media for that. But it's like, look, how much we're covering news, right? When there's stuff going yeah. on, we cover it. But so long as you guys aren't willing to step up and take part actively in this activism, yeah. we have nothing to write about. So, yeah. And it's it can really understand you mentioned the survey like I interviewed 
I was part of, of the group who conducted it. So I personally interviewed a lot of the fighters there. And one, it was very obvious that um, a lot of them went through absolutely the same problems. Like money to me was the biggest theme. Like if you, we asked them several things like, what is your biggest fear? What is your, and money was so tied to all of it because it's such a financially insecure career with such a short time span. And, uh, and what, what was like really, what really stood out for me was just how many of the problems um, were shared, right? And I'm sure they know that because they train together and, you know, fighters talk to other fighters. But at the same time, what I was kind of hoping would come out of that survey was sort of just them being able to look at the numbers and be like, oh, wow, a lot of these people, a lot of my colleagues are going through the same things or worrying about the same things. And it will really benefit us um, to, to join forces. And I think they do realize that. Like when we asked about the idea of unionizing, like I, the word union sort of like seems too strong. But when you talked about the idea of maybe having a united front, it changed. Mm -hmm. sort of the the reception to it so i think they acknowledge it but at the same time it's such an inherently selfish uh career and such an inherently selfish sport and not because fighters are just selfish assholes even though when you're an individual high performance athlete you need to sort of be selfish because that's what you need to focus your entire life on but because of the structures right the yeah. way the promotions operate the way that a lot of people benefit from keeping it that way so to me that's the main the crux of the problem uh the uh, fighter issues at this moment like they really do need to unite but i have a really tough time seeing how like you know how which effort would be effective we've seen organizations we've seen those attempts and they haven't worked out and i myself can't really answer why or what is the best way to go about it but to me it's just really obvious that it needs to be something that really comes from them i i think that fighters need to see a genuine support system, like a, a genuine avenue with a high potential for success. And I think mm -hmm. a combination of this class action lawsuit the UFC is currently facing and under a new democratic uh, governing body in the US, I think Leslie mm -hmm. Smith and Lucas Middlebrook, her lawyer, are going to have better luck yeah. with their unionization efforts. I think mm -hmm. once you see mm -hmm. like, hey, this is happening, um, you're going to see fighters jump ship i just don't think any of them want to be the ground soldiers and i understand why their livelihood like look you can disagree about why leslie smith and kj and johnson got cut but the reality is mm -hmm. they both got cut for in, in somewhat odd ways mm -hmm. right when they started talking about unionization so mm -hmm. and what, what that means that's left for yeah the court system to decide but i think yeah i think once we see a meaningful avenue you're gonna see fighters jump on board and i this is my this is my crazy hot take i have a feeling once israel desanya is done with active competition i think you're gonna hear a lot from him because to me and maybe i'm putting him on way too high a pedestal izzy's mm. always appeared to me a very honest independent yeah. person i don't think he feels pressured by the promotion ever uh he yeah. stands up for what he wants whether that's civil rights whether that's dancing to the octagon and putting on a show, he to me seems like a free thinker and a leader. Yeah. And I have this weird, weird gut instinct that when he's done making his money with the UFC, you're gonna hear him be a lot more honest about the ways in which fighters are mistreated. 
I'm with you in that I actually, I mean, Israel decided does some suspect <laughs> things from time I told you he's a free thinker. To I didn't say that was a good thing. <laughs> yeah, because usually like nowadays free thinker stands for like, ter- when a guy says he's a free thinker, I'm like, yeah, he he watches a lot of Steven Crowder on YouTube. But um, he's like, I agree with you. And even for instance, when the Black Lives Matter thing was, was mm-hmm. sort of erupting and he spoke uh, if I'm not mistaken, I could be, but I think he spoke on a on a rally or something. He did. And it does it might not seem like much, uh, but we are around the MMA fan base a lot. Um, and we've seen what happened with fighters who speak on any issues. Uh, Tyron Woodley, whenever he de- like a lot of people, oh, why is that is it that Tyron Woodley isn't that embraced by fans? I think that it has a lot to do with the fact that he does acknowledge the existence of mm-hmm. racism in the world. And that rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Uh, Kevin Lee at first, he got attacked a lot. And also uh, a lot of people like I think slapped him with this label of unlikable. And my hunch, even though we don't have objective proof of it, is that it does have to do with the fact that he's always been outspoken and early on uh, talked about you know how racism does affect his everyday life, which shouldn't be a point of contention, but we've been around enough. And the same when women talk about, well, this was a motivated by sexism. And then we see the fans just turn on them. Not the, f- we talked about the fans as of this horrible monolith. I think everybody who's listening to us understands that we're not just throwing the entire MMA fan base under the same umbrella of shit people like, I've I do believe that it's maybe not even a majority, but just a lot of very loud people online. Well, there are a lot of good people who are quiet, uh, and obviously I owe a lot to my career to the MMA fan base. But <laughs> but I do think that you know Adesanya has been very brave in that sense, and he does seem like a person who's really unapologetic about who he is. So maybe a little too, less of the dog fiddling. Perhaps. Yeah, he could he could do without the dog fiddling videos. Um, what was it that one time there was a low key anti mask thing that he posted on his stories uh, or something? I can't, I can't recall, so I don't want to throw him under the bus. But nobody's perfect. We post a lot of things online, so I feel like we have to let some shit slide. Can uh, I just say? <laughs> since we're talking about Adesanya, though, I promise you we're going to talk about USC two fifty nine, and uh, we didn't. So. <laughs> I should. Amanda, if I may interject to make a stupid joke. um, Of course, please. I'm not sure about this anti-black agenda from the MMA fans because I see nothing but support for Mike Perry online. I'm I'm glad somebody had the guts to make this joke here. I, someone someone uh, who I think I don't remember who it was someone online was congratulating UFC for their. Uh, for their tribute video to Maury Smith, former UFC champion. Yeah. And I said, look, the night's still young. I'm sure we'll get a there Mike Perry tribute Mike- for Black History <laughs> Month at the end of it. Yeah, because they, well, actually, they did kind of do that when they did a whole piece on Michael Chandler adopting a black child as if that is that makes him like a spokesperson for Black History Month. Oh, I, I've had this conversation uh, so many times. But listen, <laughs> yeah. Mike, Michael Chandler, kind of old news. great father, yeah. appears to be great guy. Leave that video for like when he has a fight booked. <laughs> right. And that's I think that's Luke Thomas said that's that. And I agree. Is. Like this is a great narrative and it's worth of it's worthy of being told, of course. It's a great story. Somebody wrote a I think it was 
I don't even remember, sorry, but somebody wrote up, maybe Dave Doyle wrote it for MMA fighting a long time ago. And it's such a great story. It is worth telling, but maybe not not in that situation. Poor timing on <laughs> the UFC's account. Um, right. One thing, though, like going back to UFC 259, since we're talking about it, we're both not analysts. So <laughs> I don't think we've, we're both uh, admittedly not great at doing breakdowns. Uh, so let's not <laughs> necessarily go there. Uh, but I guess let's start off. This is like an amazing card. And therefore, I will refuse to get excited about it until it happens. If you were to to have an estimate of how much of it stays intact until Saturday, what would be your guess? So there's like a combination of factors. There's the there's the fights that yeah. fall out like day of. There's the fights that fall out at the weigh-ins, mm-hmm. and then there's the fights that fall out at fight week. I think mm-hmm. I think three fights falling through is probably a safe bet. I, I promise you bet. someone's gonna fall out at the weigh-ins. And at this rate, I think it's been at least two weeks in a row where someone's cornerman tested positive on fight day. Uh, it was Ashley Oda yeah. versus Angela Hill last uh, this past yeah. Saturday and the week before it was one of Drakkar Close's cornerman in the Luis Pena fight. So I think for sure two, maybe three fights fell off this card. It's interesting because the other day I had like... And I'm not proud of it. Like, it's not cute, but that's how I am as a person. Uh I was betting with uh, my boyfriend, Rodrigo, like what, how many fights. And I was like, I bet two uh, on weigh-in days and like one on fight night. And I was about to get it right. But then the Chaz Kelly thing happened. Mm. And two fights fell through on fight night. Because it was one before and then Chaz Kelly um, ended up. Who was it that he was going to fight? Chaz Kelly ended up alone I in know, the octagon and then serenaded was. the... Yeah, it was a whole spasms. thing. And Someone had back spasms. Yeah. It's kind of sad, though, that we're this desensitized, right, by the whole thing. Because it's like, <laughs> on the one hand, it's like, oh, a COVID case, like, whatever that happens. Like, this is just a thing that we live with now. And then on the other hand, you see, like, a guy like have really going through the ringer with it. And it's how do you even go about it right like i feel a little um, personally attacked because in my mind i was thinking to myself like like i I hope all these fights stay intact i want to see these guys get paid i want to see these guys progress mm -hmm. their career but if i don't have to watch 14 fights this saturday over the course (laughs) of like eight hours i won't be too upset personally yep I'm the same way. Again, I'm a terrible person. Never pretend not otherwise because I was saying this. Oh, I'm, I was like, oh, my God, a nine fight card. What a gift from the heavens. And then I'm like, uh, OK, for that to happen, some shit had to happen. So, yes, I'm just not good at uh, being a person, so I guess. Can I, can, I ask you a, can I ask you for like a theory here? Yeah, sure. So we know that Glover Teixeira is serving as a backup for Jan versus Izzy. As mm-hmm. far as I'm concerned, the other fights don't have backups, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think, there's like no women's featherweight, so if that falls apart, that falls apart. Do you think if either Piotr Jan or Aljamain Sterling fall out, that we're going to get Dominic Cruz or Casey Kenny stepping up? Oh, wow. Now I'm caught up. I don't, I think, I mean, they could justify putting Dominic up there, obviously. I, would he take it, though? Like it's a, they could turn it to a three round fight maybe because mm. five round I don't think either of them would take it. Um, I think they would probably try it. Yeah. I think Cruz versus Sterling could be kind of fun. 
I don't want to see Piotr Jan fight a third legendary champion. <laughs> I'd like to see him fight someone relatively his age. Right. And that's what Aljamain has been saying. Like, and I, I like, let's, I've had enough sadness with Jan and Aldo. <laughs> like, I feel like my heart has paid its dues after that one. I don't need to, to witness any of that anymore. Uh, but would they be able to justify Kenny? Well, they would. Just he was there. <laughs> the spot opened up and he was ready for it. I don't know, man. Now you got me a... F- I think they probably would try to save it, yeah. honestly. Or, But they do have other two title fights. But I do think that, you know, p- two people are there, the Bantams. But I do... I think they would probably try to promote Cruz to it. Probably. I don't think Casey's ranked right now. And we saw yeah. them not give someone a title shot at the Habib fight. Remember the one that kept falling through? It was like yeah. Habib, t- Tony, Habib, Holloway. And they wouldn't give it someone was, a fight I, because they weren't ranked. I've been like... Yeah. yeah. Was I Quinta who got... Was the day I Quinta got the yes, fight, Yes, that right? is the fight. Yeah. I... Yeah, they probably... They could justify putting Dominic Cruz up there, but then it would be up for to Dominic. He would probably accept it. I honestly was surprised he took this fight with Casey Kenny. This, like, this is what I like to see, though. This is what I like to see. I think the UFC... For all the ways they are terrific at matchmaking, I mean, this card's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. One thing I think they do too much is they f- feed legends to people who aren't going to benefit. So they'll put Matt yeah. Brown in there with a complete no name. And mm-hmm. at that point, I think when, and, and that's nothing that I can't remember, Matt Brown lost to someone recently. I'm um, not Carlos before that. But um, mm-hmm. like there's a point where if the winning fighter's name value is so low, I don't think it actually benefits them, it just hurts the legend. Yeah. So absolutely. Like if you have these aging fighters, either put them up against other legends so they can pool their star power, like Carlos Condit and Matt Brown did, or like Matt mm-hmm. Brown and uh, Dan Hardy tried to do, or match them up with someone who can use them as a launching pad. So Casey Kenny yeah. is a prime example of a guy that's been earmarked as a potential future title ch- challenger. So if mm-hmm. he beats Dominic Cruz, it means something. It means that this guy is ready for the top of the division. On the flip side, if Dominic Cruz wins, then we say, wow, Dominic Cruz still has it in him. Like, this is one where both people have something to gain. And that's not always the case with the older fighters. Yeah. Uh, Matt Brown lost to, lost to Miguel Baeza before. Yes, that's the Carlos one. Like, does anyone really know that's who Miguel Baeza is? Man. Despite the fact I, that he's a great fighter? No, that was not a smart fight to do. I totally agree with you. Like, just this actually has a meaning behind it. One example that I was using the other day, not the same thing, because Nina Ansaroff is not Dominic Cruz. Like, they, and she's not on her way out. But, like, I like the matchup of Nina Ansaroff and Mackenzie Dern because I feel like that's both, both have something to prove with the win over the other. And it's different things yeah. that they have to prove. So I like that idea more than feeding a veteran to somebody who's just showing up or uh, whatever. So I agree with you. I was just surprised that Dominic took it because he's been very picky. And I don't mean it in a bad way. Like, the dude was a champion forever, went through the fucking ringer, has a career as a commentator. He doesn't need to be taking random-ass fights that won't do anything to advance his career. But I was a little surprised that this was the one that he took, you know? I think this might uh, be his good retirement on him. fight if he loses. Yeah. Could be hopefully uh or maybe he'll get like a legend hopefully, fight next i'm fine with that yeah or like maybe like an aldo fight that'd be like, awesome that would be interesting that'd be awesome. yeah uh just to, to finish uh this let's go through just the main cards of the fight for a little bit um Main event, uh, Blahowicz, Jan Blahowicz, whom I absolutely adore, by the way. I think he's just like the 
the most charismatic, low-key, casually charismatic person um, versus Israel Adesanya, who we talked a little bit about before, and Israel is ch uh, challenging for the light heavyweight championship. And I, the thing that intrigues me the most about this one, to be perfectly honest, is just how much shit can happen after it. Because oh, like, <laughs> if Israel wins, um, what are we going to do? Is he going to defend both titles? Uh, he says he will, but like, how is that going to happen? And are we going to do Glover Teixeira versus Israel Adesanya, like the fight we never knew we wanted? Or is Joan Jones going to give up on going to heavyweight and maybe go back and fight him? Um, like, how do we even, where do we even go from here? Uh, but I guess... Who do you who do you have on this one? I will riot if Glover Teixeira does not get the next <laughs> light heavyweight title shot. That man oh, is God. so old, yet somehow on the best <laughs> run of his career, he doesn't have much yeah. law. He wants to retire, smoke a cigar, drink some whiskey, and tell some stories. Yeah. Let him please just please just give this to him. I'm so yeah, desperate to see I him have this fight. Uh, oh man, I, I don't know. Right, like we said, we are both equally terrible. Fight analyst. Yeah, there's no need to give me a technical yeah. reason for it. I just, my heart says Izzy, and it's so, this is this is so funny. When we put out the media picks for this fight, yeah. everyone except uh, South China Morning Post John Hyunko said, "I yes. we keep disrespecting Yan. He deserves more respect, yeah. but we're gonna do it uh -huh. again." <laughs> yeah, and Izzy, I don't know what's gonna happen at light heavyweight, but as a fighter, he is just so. His striking is so next level. His mind mm -hmm. for the game is thus far has been so beyond his opponents. Yeah. He's just special. He's got that Anderson Silva sort of uh, aura to him. Conor yeah. McGregor had the aura, but I think it was for more superficial reasons because we saw mm -hmm. how much he struggled against Nate Diaz and how certain parts of mm -hmm. his game didn't really improve mm -hmm. as much as we thought they would. Israel Adesanya, yeah. every time he fights, he gets way better. He, he got challenged yeah. by Marvin Vittori, but he crushed mm -hmm. it from there on out. He struggled against Kelvin mm -hmm. Gastelum. He has shown you that he will not wither. He sh he showed mm -hmm. you that he can make it easy, and that when it gets mm -hmm. hard, he can endure. So Izzy, to me, is just yeah. such a special talent. Um, I don't want his story to be that best of all time at middleweight, but couldn't cut it at a bigger weight class. That's the aura yeah. you threaten to lose when you move up. Yeah. That's why this is a risky fight for him to take. Yeah. I think a lot of people might think that Oh, it's what does he have to lose anyway? I think he has a lot to lose. Yeah, but I'll I'll, I'll like, take Izzy. I'll take Izzy. But I will not. Yeah. I will be. I will react in a supremely animated and embarrassing fashion on the watch along if Jan gets the KO. But that's just yeah. instinct. I won't really be surprised. Yeah, I'm I I'm with you there. Uh, the thing like. With Blahovich, like you said, and I think a lot of people are taking that stance now, is that nobody expected, he's snuck up on us. Mm -hmm. Like, he's the champion nobody expected to be champion ever. So, at this point, we're just kind of like, are we going to, like, think he's not going to do something again? And also, once I interviewed him, and he, I asked him, like, because he had a different job, and I asked him what he used to do, and he forgot the word in English for plumber. So, he said he used to be what Mario and Luigi do, and I thought that's amazing. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, it's such a cool guy. Uh, I, I don't know. If the, the noose thing kind of scares me, but aside from him touching a noose for good luck that he found in the forest, yeah, um, that's I'm all on board with Jan. I think he's one of those guys that like he's a little weird, but uh, in a good way. Uh, and moving on to the co-main, like 
I'm not even going to ask what everybody, oh, do you think Megan has a chance? Because it's MMA, everybody has a chance, whatever, whatever. Um, yeah, of course she has a chance, obviously. But I'm more interested in what happens if Amanda wins. Because it's like, what the fuck do we do with her? Personally, I will keep pushing my agenda that is Amanda Nunes and Valentina Chevchenko 3. Um, I understand that the size differential looks maybe a little weird now and some people might just be like oh but Amanda Nunes already beat her twice but both of them are looking fucking invincible and the only people who they haven't looked invincible against was each other so to me it's a no-brainer but what do you think is the the future here whatever happens uh, this is gonna be a bit of a hot take I'm not saying a Valentina mm. Shevchenko would win um a third mm. fight nor am I saying that Amanda Nunes isn't the greatest of all time for a female fighter and one of the greatest of all time period because she has defeated, she has finished every legitimate top tier Mount Rushmore or near that woman in the sport. She's finished Misha Tate. She's finished Ronda Rousey. She's finished Holly Holm. She's finished Chris Cyborg. There is mm -hmm. no doubting that she is the legacy fighter uh, in the women's division. That being said, the fact that she mm. can go up to featherweight, the fact that she's the featherweight champ and Valentina is mm -hmm. the flyweight champ, and not only mm -hmm. were those split decision fights, but a lot of people think that Shevchenko mm -hmm. won one of them. Yeah, I, including Shevchenko herself. I think Shevchenko might be the better all-around fighter. If you take out the the genetic component mm -hmm. of the physique, I think Valentina might mm -hmm. actually be the better fighter. Yeah. Um, I think that's a super a piping hot. It's, 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 it's a, a warm take. It's, take. That's fine. Yeah, it's a warm Thanks take. Thanks for uh. shooting me down there. <laughs> um, but I will say, I think if if uh, EKC Leiden, who you've had on this show, um, yeah, you got some heavy hitters here. I saw Karen Bryant on there, Megan Levy. You're killing it over yeah, here. See, see, you're in good company. Yes. Um, bringing bringing everything down a peg, but you know, you gotta. Mm. You, you, gotta even it yeah, up. No, you, I'm you, you need you need, a, you need McDonald's every now and then. You can't be having gourmet steak <laughs> week to week. Uh, it's very much an honor. And whenever I get Canadian representation here, it's true, just uh, an even bigger honor. True, true. but Casey, my said, true nation at heart. <laughs> yes, thank you. Shout out to shout out to the Great White North. Uh, Casey uh, was saying that he thinks mm -hmm. featherweight's going to shut down if Amanda Nunes wins because who else is left? Yeah. Um, which but I could then, see. Uh, I think if I think if the featherweight division gets shut down, I think if Valentina mm -hmm. Shevchenko beats Jessica Andrade because that is the most legitimate threat she has ever faced at flyweight. Yeah, I, I think we start talking about a, e either it's got to be uh, like a Zhang Wei Li versus Valentina super fight, or it's got to be a Valentina versus Amanda super fight because mm -hmm. there aren't going to be real threats left in any of those divisions for the immediate. Time. That's the right time to do super fights, right? Not when you have Glover yeah. Teixeira in the wings. It's when the divisions are cleared out. And right now, I don't see real contenders in any of the divisions after the conclusion of the three upcoming women's title fights that we have. Yeah, but like, and it's okay, but then say Megan wins. Uh, why, why would that keep the featherweight division open? That's my thinking right now, right? Because like still, you don't have... you. A big name there. The only well, that would be a rematch. I think you that have would the be rematch, the and then Felicia Spencer yeah. also has a win against Megan Anderson. Megan. So if but how intriguing is that fight? How interested are people in Felicia Spencer, Megan Anderson too? I mean, people as a whole, people who will be interested in a title fight 
you know, you know I, like are you gonna be able to headline a card with no that? but like maybe a fight night which we haven't seen a fight night title fight in ages I, mm-hmm. I feel like we used to get them more frequently um but either a fight night title fight like a, maybe like an espn title fight or a co-main because i think yeah. megan anderson uh despite casey kenny and sean o'malley and company's gross remarks um, i think megan anderson has a lot going for her aesthetically and that is not just a statement on her physical appearance like the tattoos like she's got a lot of she's got an aesthetic that i think you can market um she Mm -hmm. caters you know i'm sure there's an audience that loves her artwork on her body so i'm sure there's that connection too She's cool. I think she's cool as all hell. She's well spoken. Yeah. She streams. She she's a gamer. Right. She podcasts. She does mm-hmm. vlogs. I think Megan yeah. Anderson is someone. She's got an Aussie accent. Who doesn't love it? I think there's a yeah, lot sure. to her that you can market and that people can identify with. So I think if she goes out yeah. and she knocks out Amanda Nunes, is featherweight ever going to be the most exciting division? Women's featherweight? No. But I think there's enough juice to squeeze out of Megan that you can keep the division going. Yeah. You buy. Listen, the UFC just, and they've gotten better, especially since partnering with ESPN. The UFC just needs to understand there are different ways to market people. And Megan Anderson Mm -hmm. has a lot of qualities to her. Just the the fact that she, and the UFC started, they've got Wonder Boy on Twitch now, and they've got all these fighters. Mm -hmm. That gaming niche is something they should have leaned into a decade ago with Demetrius Johnson. They're so far behind on it, but they're here now. So I think Megan's got a lot to offer as a champ. That's the thing with them, right? Vision has never been the UFC's strongest suit in that sense. Like, I often, and I've addressed this before, I often feel like they sometimes get gifted very good personalities that lend themselves to good marketing, but they have a tough time sort of seeing that step ahead. And they could have absolutely done that with Demetrius a long time ago. Megan Anderson, they're catching up. Fan bite. So I agree with you. It's a dream made in heaven. Yeah. Let's see. Good idea. Let's it's just throw it out there. Uh, but that's in, I don't know anything about gaming, even though I work for Bam, Fanbyte. So there's that. Uh, but <laughs> thankfully, a lot of the people around me do. Uh, so we touch a little bit on Jan Sterling and uh, Cruz, Casey, Kenny. Last thing on your C259, like it's such an insane card that I keep looking at it and forgetting like that great fights were there. <laughs> like every time it looks like, oh yes, Tim Elliott is fighting. Oh, that's interesting. Like, oh, there's Kai Kara France and Montorin and things like that. But um do you have like a, a sleeper? I don't think any of these fights are, are sleepers, but like one fight outside of the main ones that is like making you jazzed, making you jazzed. excited. Uh let me see. Is anything making me jazzed? Uh, I can honestly start. I I mm. really like Islam Akhachev versus Drew Dober. Um, yep. Islam has an enormous dude. He is a superstar. Maybe people in North America, Europe aren't familiar, but his social media follows are insane. He, you have to remember, Islam was mm-hmm. the next Habib before Hamzat was Hamzat. Yeah. Islam was the one, and he's got a very dominant win over KJ and Johnson. So I hold that against him, but. He is just a star waiting for his moment. This card is a mm-hmm. chance for that. He was supposed to fight Rafael Dos Anjos. Yeah. That didn't happen. Um, and then you have Drew Dober. Arguably yeah. one of the most handsome, structurally perfect <laughs> men in MMA. And he scraps. He he wants, I've talked about this, he wants his legacy to be Donald Cerrone-esque. He just wants fans to remember him for having the best fight. So... This mm-hmm. is a chance for one of them to really become a superstar. Um, that, I think, actually has huge stakes to it. 
Okay. It does. I agree with you. Yeah, Mahachev, like even there was Daniel Cormier was saying the other day he thinks he's like a better pure wrestler than Habib. He really does think like he's um, his only loss, I believe, was the one to Adriano, who who's been mentioned to Adriano Moraes, and he got caught. So, and Drew Dober, I, I like I, I joked with you on the live stream thing, but it's true. I avoid like making any comments on fighters' appearances just because I feel like people are out there just waiting for me to say something. That's why I almost like, exclusively talk about men because <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I don't talk about anyone. I, I'm but, not gonna get uh, in trouble. Someone calls me gay. I, I can. I, I'll <laughs> happily live my day. But uh, he is a very um, conventionally uh, good-looking man. He's, I'll say that he's scientifically Not my type. perfect. He's scientifically perfect. I'm more of a That's Carlos Condit kind of guy, but like yeah. he's math. He is math. Yeah. He's an A plus. I like a little danger, uh, but he is, uh, like you said, uh, a guy that you can you can see the aesthetic appeal. Um, and my my fight, I'm gonna go with my heart because. Yeah, everybody knows I love Marieta, Thiago Santos, and I think it's just like the such a, an amazing example of an athlete who nobody expected to do as well as he did. And he got there and gave John Jones hell and then injured his knee, was out for a long time. He's coming back from that terrible submission to Glover Teixeira. Um, but, you know, he was just coming back. There was a lot happening, a lot of pressure. And now he's got like a fight with... Alexander Hakic, who is a guy who wow, is not into again. taking steps. I, I have no idea. Alexander Hakic, because I think the C in the end sounds like this, but I think that's going to be like legit a barn burner um, and a good opportunity for Maheta to like sort of put himself back in the, in the scene at light heavyweight. Which is not that crowded, honestly. So that's a good opportunity for him. So that is it, because I promise. I think that's the episode in which I talk the most about actual MMA, Shaq. You had that that honor. Uh, well, it's, it's, I <laughs> can promise it's you, it's more than we talked about MMA during that MMA watch along. <laughs> Uh, that is, I guess that will settle it, uh, for today. I already took up so much of your time. I know you took a day off to, to talk to me. Uh, much appreciated. Is there anything you want to, um, plug point list our listeners to tell people to watch, yeah. listen to, please. Um, if you guys can head over to youtube.com slash fightful MMA, that's like rightful, but with an F. Um, that's where you're going to find all my, <laughs> sorry, I had to explain it. It's a stupid name, but it is where I work. Um, Rightful, but with an F. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, or Frightful without the R, whatever, whatever floats your boat. Um, that's where you're going to find all my content. It's meant to be more entertainment-based MMA stuff. So you're not going to find a whole lot of webcam interviews, but what you are going to find is UFC fighters uh, reacting in real time to backyard brawls, reacting to Mortal Kombat fatal fatalities, Conor McGregor's trash talk. You're going to see lists like um, which UFC fighter should replace Gina Carano on The Mandalorian. It's, mm -hmm. it, it's meant to be fun. It's meant to be a little <laughs> different. Um, lots of like fight picks and stuff like that on there too. So that would be, that's the channel I'm trying to grow. YouTube.com slash Fightful MMA. Also, uh, there's a YouTube channel called Combat Culture that I do some on-air and voiceover stuff for. That's a pretty big channel uh, we got a video coming out on israel adesanya's anime references whole like little decoded video so that should be fun if you want to follow me on twitter that's at shack underscore foo shack with a k um fernanda are you going to join us on the watch along this saturday because i could plug that probably you yeah pop in. you don't have to you don't happens. have to be there for like eight hours we can pop in 
Yeah, I don't know. Like in today's world, I have a tough time making commitments for more than two days. But if everything goes well and not another plague drops over my head like it did a couple of weeks ago yes i should be there looking forward to that would be great people are gonna get a lot of the the fernanda shack duo i can i can actually have some negronis (laughs) ready to go if we want a repeat of last week um so yeah then that's uh yeah i don't know can my reputation take another blow? love it so youtube.com slash fightful mma (laughs) maybe you'll see nanda there this saturday we'll do a watch along live reaction to UFC 259. So if you're alone and quarantined and locked down and begging for some company, come join us. We'll talk to you in the live chat. It'll be a, a bit of a family reunion kind of vibe. Yes. And I will probably be kind of drunk. Uh, I whatever. said it was a family However reunion. However you feel about that. <laughs> it yeah. wouldn't be one if you were sober. <laughs> uh, I'm offended, but also that is true. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much, uh, Shaq, for joining me today. Thank you all uh, at home for listening. Thank you, Taylor Swift, for putting up with all that slut shaming and the horrible mistreatment we gave her all these years and still being amazing. Um, That will do it for this week's episode. This has been the best camp of my life. See you all next week.